Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons on the great doctrines of the Christian faith as they are summarized in the Belgic Confession of Faith. Today, with the Lord's help, we want to consider the subject of justification. And in that connection, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 32. Hear God's word. A Psalm of David, a contemplation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, from time to time, people like to change their appearance. And they do this in many ways. They change their hairstyle or they dye their hair a different color. Some will wear makeup or change their wardrobe. Some will even go to greater lengths and undergo cosmetic surgery. But there's one thing that you and I cannot change. It is not something outward, but inward. It is our heart and our consequent standing before God. The Bible teaches that we are born into this world stained with sin. And as such, we cannot stand before God and live. And that's because God is absolutely holy. And an absolutely holy being can have nothing to do with sin or sinners. In order to stand before God and live, the stain of our sin must be removed. And herein lies our problem. Our problem is that you and I cannot do this. In Jeremiah 13, verse 23, Jeremiah rhetorically asks, Can the Ethiopian change his skin 
or the leopard his spots? And the answer, of course, is no. Just as an Ethiopian cannot make his skin white, or a leopard remove his spots, so a sinner cannot make himself acceptable before God. Now, to be sure, many try. They do this by doing good works and performing certain acts of religious devotion. But all of these attempts will end in failure. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable before God. Well, then, how can we stand before him? There is only one way we must be justified. And that's explained in Article 23 of the Belgic Confession of Faith. Article 23 closely, is closely connected to Articles 21 and 22. In fact, it builds on both of these articles, and it brings them both to a conclusion. In Article 21, we learn that we are reconciled to God on the basis of the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And in Article 22, we learned how the benefits of this sacrifice become ours, namely by a true and living faith in Christ. Well, now in Article 23, we learn how we can stand before God and live. It is by being justified by faith. And so our theme today is our justification before God. We'll consider, first of all, its essential content, and secondly, its powerful effect. In order to stand before God and live, you and I and every single person on the face of this planet must be justified. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be justified? Well, to be justified means to be declared not guilty before the tribunal of God. Imagine you're in a courtroom. Before you sits the judge. Before the judge stands the prosecuting attorney, and you are in the prisoner's box. And the court goes into session. The charges are read, and they're all accurate, and you are guilty as charged. You deserve to die. But just before the sentence is pronounced, someone enters into the courtroom, and he informs the judge that he has paid the penalty for your crimes, and he pleads with the judge to set you free. Well, since the demands of the law have been met, the judge declares you not guilty, and you are free to go. Well, this is what happens in justification. In justification, the sinner is declared not guilty. On what basis? Well, not on the basis of anything in the sinner, for there is nothing in the sinner, but solely on the basis of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. That's also what we confess in this article, Article 23. The very first sentence of that article says this, that our salvation consists in the remission of our sins for Jesus Christ's sake. Now mention here is made of the remission of sins. To remit means to cancel or to refrain from exacting or inflicting, for example, a debt or a punishment. And that's what happens in justification. God remits our sin. You see, when we sin, we incur a debt to God. Now, sadly, our sins are so great that we cannot possibly pay that debt back. Consequently, we are consigned to spend an everlasting eternity in hell 
forever cut off from God. But when God justifies the sinner by faith in Christ, he cancels that debt. He regards the debt as paid because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Now, what did Christ do to make that remission possible? Well, he did two things. In the first place, he took our sins upon himself. And he paid the penalty for those sins when he died on the cross. Now, this is absolutely essential. As we've already remarked, sin incurs a debt to God. And that debt has to be repaid. If there is no payment, then the debt remains. Nor can God cancel this debt without payment. For God to cancel the debt without payment would amount to a denial of his holiness and his justice. The problem is we can't pay this debt, and that for two reasons. First of all, the debt is too large. It started the moment we were conceived, and it grows each and every day. Secondly, the payment is too great. Since all sin is committed against an infinite God, it deserves infinite punishment. And what is more, this punishment must be borne by a man who is perfectly righteous, since God will not be satisfied with anything less than a perfectly righteous sacrifice. Now that is impossible for any of us, but what we cannot do, Christ has done. He did that when he went to the cross. There on the cross, Christ paid the penalty for the sins of his people in full. And when we believe on his name, his payment becomes our payment. The debt is cancelled. We receive the remission of all of our sins so completely, in fact, that it is as though we had never sinned. And that's really what justification is. Someone once said justification is just as if I never sinned. But that's not all. Not only did Christ pay the penalty for our sins, he also earned for us the righteousness that we need to stand before God. You see, God is absolutely righteous. And that means if we're going to stand before him and live, we ourselves must be absolutely righteous. And again, there's the problem. The problem is we are not righteous, nor can we do anything to make ourselves righteous. But again, what we are not able to do, Christ has done. He earned for us the righteousness that we need to stand before God. And he did that by living a perfect life. A life lived in complete and perfect obedience to all the commandments of God. And so when we believe on his name, the righteousness that he earned is imputed to us so that we stand before God as though we ourselves had kept the law of God perfectly. Theologians call this the great exchange. In justification, Christ takes our sins upon himself and in exchange, he gives us his righteousness. He not only says, you are not guilty, but he says, you are righteous. Now that's exactly what the scriptures teach. Our confession in Article 23 refers to both David and Paul, and I quote, We believe that our salvation consists in the remission of our sins for Jesus Christ's sake, and that therein our righteousness before God is implied. 
as David and Paul teach us, declaring this to be the happiness of man, that God imputes righteousness to him without works. And the same apostle says that we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ, end quote. So our confession here quotes two verses of scripture. The first is Psalm 32, which we read a few moments ago. And David tells us in this psalm that he had sinned against the Lord. Now what he did exactly, we don't know. David doesn't tell us. What we do know is that for the longest time, David refused to acknowledge it. And this bothered him. In fact, it sapped him of his joy. And he writes in verse 3, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. But then David came to himself, or should we say that the Holy Spirit so worked in his heart that he came to acknowledge his sin and to confess it to the Lord. And he writes in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. So David had sinned, but he also acknowledged his sin, and the Lord forgave him. And that brought David such relief. And he expresses that in the first two verses of this psalm. When he writes, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. So David here declares that the man whose sins have been forgiven is blessed. Why is he blessed? Because when our sins have been forgiven, we have peace with God and we have an entrance to eternal life. And there's no greater blessing than that. But how were these sins forgiven? Well, they were not imputed to the sinner, but to Christ. Christ took our sins upon himself and he paid the penalty in full. And David understood that. And so must we. Now, significantly, the Apostle Paul quotes these two verses in Romans 4 as well. Paul had just declared in Romans 3, verse 28, that a man is justified by faith without or apart from the deeds of the law. He then goes on to illustrate that with reference to Abraham. And he observes that Abraham was justified by faith rather than works because it says in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Not that Abraham's faith was accounted to him for righteousness, but the merits of Christ, which are appropriated by faith. And as further proof, he cites the words of David in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. He writes, Even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So Paul here observes that David's blessedness was not the result of works. It was the result of having righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, which is imputed to him by faith. And my friends, that is still true today. Still today, sinners are justified as a result of having the righteousness of Christ imputed to them by faith. Now, the second verse of scripture quoted here in this article is Romans 3, verse 24. There, after declaring in verse 23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Paul goes on to say that sinners are justified freely by his grace 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now here again, sinners are justified by grace through faith apart from the works of the law. Now, is that not wonderful news? Dear friends, here is the solution to the misery in which we find ourselves. Here is the way whereby we can find peace with God and live before him to an everlasting eternity. It's not by works. And it's not by faith plus works. It is by faith in Christ alone. By faith, Christ takes our sins upon himself and in return imputes to us his righteousness so that we stand before God as though we had never sinned. The Heidelberg Catechism, another one of the Reformed Confessions in Lord's Day 23, question and answer 60, puts it like this. It says that we are righteous before God, and I quote, only by a true faith in Jesus Christ, so that though my conscience accuse me that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and kept none of them, and am still inclined to all evil, notwithstanding God, without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, even so as if I never had had nor committed any sin. Yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me, inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. Well, my friends, do you see what the Heidelberg Catechism and the Belgian Confession are saying to us? They're saying that when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, all of our sins, our sins of omission, our sins of commission, our sins of thought, of word and deed, our sins of youth and old age, all of these are taken away. They are completely removed so that not a trace of them is left, even though we remain sinners. And in their place, we receive the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Imagine a man who has to appear before a great king. The problem is he has nothing to wear. His garments are full of holes and they're absolutely filthy. They're so dirty that there's no way they can become clean. Then someone comes by and gives him the most beautiful clothing imaginable, clothing that was made for the king himself. Well, this is exactly what Christ does in justification. He takes our filthy garments, he puts them on himself, while he himself clothes us in his garments the garments of his perfect righteousness. Oh, my friends, do you have such a garment? You know, it can become yours if you cry out to the Lord and confess your sins, trusting his atoning work on the cross. With that garment, you can stand before God and live to all eternity, but without that garment, you will surely perish. Remember the parable of the wedding feast. Jesus told this parable. He said that a man held a great feast and invited many guests And as he went out to greet his guests, he noticed that one did not have on a wedding garment. And when the man saw this, he commanded his servants to throw him out of the house. This wedding garment represents the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the point of the parable is that those who are not covered in the righteousness of Christ will not be able to stand before God. They will perish to all eternity. Oh, since that is so, let us pay heed to the call and the warnings of the gospel. Let none of us be found without 
a wedding garment, or we too will be cast out. And so the essential content of our justification before God is the remission of our sins by faith in Jesus Christ. Now what effect will this have on us? That brings us to our second point. Knowing that we have been justified by faith will have at least three powerful effects on the believer. Our confession says it will produce, first of all, adoration of God. Our confession says that the doctrine of justification by faith will make us ascribe all the glory to God. And I quote, And therefore we always hold fast this foundation, ascribing all the glory to God. Now that stands to reason, doesn't it? I mean, who would not adore God for his justifying grace? Where would we be if God had not bestowed this grace on us? We would be utterly lost, and there would be no hope for us at all. But God did not leave us in that condition. Instead, he devised a way whereby we can be saved, while at the same time satisfying both his mercy and his justice, and it is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And this way of his devising, this is, this is the way of his devising. It is the way of his execution. We contribute nothing to it whatsoever, and therefore all the glory belongs to him. Secondly, our confession says that this doctrine of justification by faith will produce in us humility before God. Now that too stands to reason, doesn't it? Who would not humble himself before God for his justifying grace? For what have we done to deserve it? We've done absolutely nothing. We deserve only his wrath and his condemnation. But instead of giving us his wrath and condemnation, God takes away our sin and he imputes to us the righteousness of Christ out of mere grace apart from anything in us. And this, our confession says, causes us to humble ourselves before him, acknowledging ourselves to be such as we really are without presuming to trust in anything in ourselves or in any merit of ours, relying and resting upon the obedience of Christ crucified alone, which becomes ours when we believe in him. In other words, the doctrine of justification by faith alone will produce in us very low thoughts of self and very high thoughts of God in Christ we will come to realize that there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation before God. All that we need is to be found in Christ and Christ alone. Thirdly, our confession says that the doctrine of justification by faith will produce in us, and I quote, confidence in approaching to God, freeing the conscience of fear, terror, and dread. Yes, those who have been awakened by the Holy Spirit to see something of their sinfulness before God are terrified of God. Adam is a case in point. Our confession observes that when Adam heard the voice of the Lord God in the garden, what did he do? He trembling fled from the presence of the Lord. And why did Adam flee? Because he knew that he had sinned. And as such, he knew that he was not able to stand before God and live. He knew that he deserved God's wrath and condemnation. And then in an effort to try to make himself more presentable to God, what did he do? He covered himself with fig leaves. And isn't that still the case today? As soon as a sinner has been awakened by the Holy Spirit, he, he often flees from the presence of the Lord and he, he tries to cover up his sins with a, with a covering of his own making. But when he comes to realize that he's been justified by faith, that dread is removed. 
And instead of dread, there is boldness and confidence and love. Why? Because the sinner realizes that in Christ, his sins are taken away. And if his sins are taken away, then he has no reason to fear. What is more, he is clothed, not in flimsy fig leaves, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And thus clothed, he may confidently approach God like a child approaches his or her father and lay all of his needs and desires before him. And so we see that when we are justified by faith, we will adore God, we will be humble before God, and we will have confidence toward God. Well, my friend, is that true of you today? Child of God, can you testify of this in your own life? You've been justified by faith. That means your sins have been taken away, and you've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Well, let me ask you, what effect has that had on you? Has it caused you to adore God? Has it humbled you before God? Does it give you confidence toward God? Oh, do not be satisfied with a mere intellectual grasp of these truths. Doctrine should never be purely intellectual. It must also be practical and experiential. And by experiential, I mean doctrine must be experienced in the heart. And by practical, I mean doctrine must have an impact on our lives and on our characters. And that's especially true for the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Martin Luther once said that when he discovered this doctrine, or rather rediscovered this doctrine, it was like walking through the gates of paradise. My friend, is that true for you? Is this doctrine the gate of paradise for you? Oh, may God grant that we may believe this truth with all of our heart, and that believing it, we too, with Luther, and with all of God's people, from the beginning to the end of time, may enter into that paradise which Christ has merited for all who believe on his name. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. For those who take the time to write, I will gladly send you a free copy of the Belgic Confession of Faith so that you can more easily follow along as I explain each of its 37 articles. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome 
and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed on your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on our webpage. Our webpage address, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. And for that reason, we urge you not to use this or any other radio program as a substitute for being an active, contributing member of a faithful, Bible-believing church. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.